Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Design to Product podcast, where we talk about getting a product from design to a manufactured product. We'll hear about the journeys of people who build products, design for manufacturing, supply chain challenges, and much more. I'm Adar, your host today, and the CEO of Giga. We in Giga believe that if you are a founder or an engineer, you shouldn't waste time on procurement-related stuff. So we make sending RFQs to suppliers, supplier search, code comparison, supplier communication, tracking your order, very very friendly and easy so if you find yourself do it you might be able to free up a lot of time and money usually there is a lot of savings involved so just uh, check it out it's jiga.io giga.io Our guest today is Ho Chen. Ho is the co-founder and CTO of Gridware, a wildfire prevention device. And they are also a Y Combinator alumni, our batchmate. This is how I met him. Hello, Ho. Hey, Dar. Uh, it's great to, great to see a friendly face again. Um, super, super stoked to be here and kind of share, share some of my thoughts. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty excited too. We didn't talk a lot about last year and, and where have you been heading. So I'm, I'm very curious to hear, maybe you'll start with just by uh, talking about the journey of Gridware. Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, we really kind of started really just with the idea that if you could deploy a network of low power, low cost sensors um, to sparsely populated areas in the wildland urban interface, um, what would that allow you to do in the context of preventing wildfire ignitions, um, being able to detect and localize different types of electric grid failures and faults that can lead to wildfire ignitions, um, or even be able to predict them by by looking for the kind of uh, precursor signals and so this is this is what we set out to do and you know in the past year uh, we've gone through several major hardware revisions and are now deployed uh, with utilities and pilot programs to essentially field test our, our system capabilities uh, and throughout this entire time, you know, it's uh, for sure been an interesting challenge working with various different hardware vendors, uh, grappling with these supply chain issues that that uh, <laughs> you know I'm sure everybody in this industry has been has been dealing with. Uh, yeah. So even the larger, for sure. even the larger organizations constantly deal with these troubles. So what what are your current challenges and and how do you deal with them? Yeah. So you know, designing for long-term support uh, is absolutely a struggle because, you know, at any given time, you might only be able to procure uh, certain critical electrical components in quantities of hundreds, like high hundreds, maybe low thousands. But um, it's very difficult to get guaranteed supply of thousands or tens of thousands um, of components. And so often we find ourselves essentially having to uh, design our, our hardware in such a way that we're flexible to minor, you know, component replacements here and there. Uh, and, and this is on the electrical side. You know, on the mechanical side, uh, international trade, I think, and international logistics have definitely taken uh, a hit from kind of uh, COVID and, and just uh, labor shortage challenges. Uh, so on that front, you know, a lot we, we try to keep a lot of our uh, manufacturing, a lot of our mechanical uh, bomb 
supply to to domestic sources as much as possible. You know, that way, at least if there are any challenges or issues that come up, we can kind of personally go there to the supplier and help resolve resolve issues. Um, but but regardless, you know, the lead time on say things like enclosures or or custom gaskets are are still high, kind of in the order of two to three months, or or something thereof, and that really ultimately sets the cadence for how quickly we can iterate uh, on our our revisions. Uh, we we definitely want to build as fast as possible and uh, learn lessons and incorporate those lessons into uh, new designs. Um, but if we have to make any physical changes to the form factor uh, at all, then time to get that part. Exactly, exactly. And and I think you you mentioned uh, domestic versus uh, international, probably minimizing potential issues where you deal with the domestic supplier. There are less uh, potential of like trade issues, costumes, like stuff like that. So. Um, what were your like considerations between doing it domestically versus uh, outside offshore? Yeah, so a couple of things that we've seen uh, go wrong, and, and also have you know just anecdotally heard go wrong uh, when we're trying to do uh, manufacturing or or supply chain across international borders on a very short timeline. Um, one is just if the vendor, uh, you know, deprioritizes your PO uh, because they have uh, bigger fish in the pipeline, yeah. um, then it's really hard to kind of convey urgency over email or over phone. Uh, usually an in-person visit uh, is, is much better for this. And um, international travel is difficult right now. So in many cases, that that's just altogether not possible. Um, another thing is, you know, just getting through uh, the the um, docks uh, and getting things unloaded off of container ships. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a lot of some of the uh, items that we procure cannot be airshipped and come come across the Pacific Ocean. And uh, I think the situation is better now. But last year, uh, there were giant giant queues at the uh, loading ports in LA, uh, here in the Bay Area in Oakland. Um, literally, we had a part that was uh, on a ship already in the Bay Area, but could not be unloaded for an entire month. Wow. Um, and so, you know, the the physical goods were already here, but we just yeah. couldn't get to them. And, and why um, by ship and not by air, uh, by the way? Oh, I, these were very like heavy components. Mm-hmm. Um, there were yeah battery cells, and uh, I think there were some shipping constraints as well. Yeah. yeah. Guys, so very interesting. So um, that made you uh, make the decision, at least uh, probably for now, when you're still iterating a lot on the product, it's crucial for you to get the parts faster, uh, being being able to cut the lead times as much as possible and not deal with all of these logistics problems. Do you like plan on uh, changing that down the road when you perhaps go have a more stable concept and the uh, probably like want to set up the supply chain, start thinking cost? Um, You know, it's certainly uh, in our minds. It's certainly in our minds, something that we, we think about and, uh, we we review kind of on a regular basis, but uh, I you know I am optimistic uh, about uh, just domestic manufacturing capacity being able to a meet our demand and b meet our uh, cost requirements. You know this um, 
I think we are slowly seeing a, a shift, mm-hmm. uh, particularly in the United States, yeah. uh, to to over time essentially build a a stronger emphasis on uh, being able to produce atoms um, within within U.S. borders. So we we are very uh, optimistic about that, and, and we intend to really roll with it and, and take advantage of it. Sounds good. Yeah, and probably it will be best if you can um, stick with the same supplier you've been uh, working with for prototyping. That has its advantages too. Yeah, yeah, 100%. You know, the uh, contract manufacturers and uh, distributors that we're working with now, uh, we're very open with them. And, um, you know, we, we tell them, like, right now, we're uh, really starting out kind of with low hundreds of quantities, maybe low thousands. Um, but we're looking for the right partners to kind of uh, A, help us grow and B, that we can really uh, grow with as we reach commercial scale. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, they're, of course, very happy to hear that. And, uh, uh, you know, they're, they're able to provide a lot of value with, with their expertise. Yeah. Yeah, and that probably helps you with overcoming like the the fact that you don't have a lot of negotiation power. You mentioned like suppliers with the bigger fish uh, to to take care of. So perhaps like um, making sure that you uh, give them a very detailed uh, plan on how you uh, will grow in the future and how many units you will be able to uh, give them to produce. Maybe it will make you like look more attractive for them, and uh, and that transparency is important for the future. Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. You know, we we treat our our vendors and our suppliers like our teammates. Um, any anything that I would do for a colleague at Gridware, I'm more than happy to do with um, a, a uh, supply chain partner. You know, yeah, they're the same standards of of work and collaboration hold internally yeah. and externally. Yeah, so important. Treat your supply chain uh, partners you call them like like partners like teammates this is uh, so not obvious and so important um so it seems like you run also a pilot program how do you um build it how did you decide to to do it and uh, and, and how does it go yeah absolutely happy to speak more to these pilots that we're doing um they're really great for two things uh you know one on the business development side which i can speak to first it's not a trivial thing for a utility to field one of these pilots with new grid technology, um, especially for a system like ours when a utility puts uh, real labor and real uh, management resources and also uh, dollars behind fielding our, our system. This is, you know, a very serious commitment and very serious statement from them that uh, they want to pursue uh, what we have built and evaluate, uh, you know, the the capabilities for commercial scale. And so, uh, from a business development perspective, this is really a strong signal that we're building the right thing, that we're building. Uh, a technology that these utilities care about uh, that can provide them with uh, very strong value, um, very kind of tantalizing capabilities. On the other hand, you know, we are largely building a system here where uh, our primary and, and most immediate mission is to 
a stop wildfire ignitions from happening by uh, detecting uh, the grid faults that lead to wildfire ignitions uh, and being able to localize those uh, and B, be able to uh, essentially monitor wildfire ignitions uh, near grid infrastructure in the earliest stages. And so being out there in the real world, in the field deployed for 12 or 18 months in a pilot is a, a just a tremendous opportunity for us to actually be providing value and reducing wildfire ignition risk for our, our customers and partners here. Yeah, it's interesting to to understand like how do you measure the effectiveness of wildfire prevention because you essentially you prevent wildfire you don't know if you did that right or or do you like take past cases and and measure like how did you reduce them how do you do that yeah that's a great question you know to start off uh wildland fire ignition is a well-studied topic so you know the the great thing is we do generally know how how they start, how they spread, what conditions allow them to proliferate really quickly, how, how um, we should be uh, gauging our, our risk of, of uh, out-of-control wildfire. And so we know all of this. And we know uh, kind of the relationship between these wildfire ignitions and electric grid failures, um, the type of faults that can happen on the electric grid that can lead to wildfire ignition. And so these are the faults that we target at Gridware. These are the faults that um, we detect and help localize in order to provide the most value to our, our end customers, which are the, the utilities. And so, for example, uh, if a tree branch falls onto the power lines, um, it, you know, it sits there for a minute or two, uh, expelling moisture, but then eventually it combusts. And when it does, uh, it, it can fall to the ground. And if there's a lot of fuel around, if it's windy and dry, um, then you have a really fast spreading ignition event. And if we're able to detect, uh, essentially in the wild, this, um, event where a, a tree branch breaks and then falls onto the power lines, um, then that is uh, essentially a, a direct demonstration of a potential wildfire ignition event that was, um, that was caught and, and actively monitored for, for uh, kind of hazardous um, evolutions. Yeah. Right. So, so basically like um, in sort of an AI that identifies like patterns that um, that that signal that there is going to be like a wildfire and uh, alerts on time. Uh, that that basically how it works. And do you have like false um, false alerts uh, that happen, or do, do you uh, learn from that as well? Yeah, I mean, you know, what you described is is basically the gist of it. Um, for sure, uh, having. Uh, really low false positive, really low false negative rates is something that we care deeply about, especially um, because, uh, you know, we don't want to kind of be the the people who cried wolf and, and you know, constantly yeah. uh, send out like, alerts that are <laughs> not real. Uh, but at the same time, we don't want to miss anything that might uh, be very dangerous uh, as well. So to that end, it's really about striking a fine balance there. And uh, we are uh, a little bit more conservative in our stance here. We would rather be overly sensitive. And so 
right now, you know, we still uh, put a lot of energy and effort into uh, essentially verifying that uh, the alerts that we receive are the the exact types of alerts that can provide uh, value. Um, but the kind of insight uh, that we derive from these alerts and tabulating these patterns over large time horizons, um, it kind of leads to this buildup in this library of understanding that we're then able to uh, bake into the decision-making engine of our technology. Very interesting. And, and where what is the point where you uh, are satisfied enough with the product and its performance, with the, your pilot uh, program, and you're saying, okay, now it's the time for us to start setting a supply chain, uh, like go to producing more units, start selling. Like what, what's the point where you're, that that's what I need, that that's, I'm ready right now. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, I suppose to be clear, that's already happening. You know, we're already kind of dedicating efforts to uh, mm-hmm. securing larger scale supply chain because we do see this on the immediate horizon. For for sure, as a startup, you don't wait for... 100%. You, yeah, exactly. You don't, you don't want to wait. Uh, and we're always looking around the corner to figure out what's coming next and making preparations for that. Yeah. So maybe I could ask that in in the past tense. What what made you decide that right now is it's good enough and you can keep going? Yeah, you know, at the end of the day, um, the value that we're able to provide with uh, low power, uh, low cost sensors that can detect these faults even when the electric grid is off. This value is uh, unique, mm-hmm. and this value is not currently. Uh, these capabilities are not something that currently exist. And so, you know, I would say that we are already kind of gone from zero to one. And uh, that, that's, that is, yeah, I, I would say how we draw that line. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's super exciting. Man. And, and right now, so um, maybe we can talk a little bit about um, your, your supply chain challenges and things that you anticipate like did you already start a supply chain start building a supply chain team um how does it look like for from your side yeah so right now uh kind of manufacturing responsibilities definitely fall under uh the engineering side of of the company and you know i i definitely chip in myself especially with procurement and coordinating logistics with various different uh, vendors and, and distributors. We don't have a you know dedicated manufacturing team or dedicated uh, supply chain team at the moment. Um, definitely something that we're going to be building out uh, in the short term, but uh, not something we have immediately. Yeah. Very cool. And, and what kind of, um, I, I guess, components do you need uh, to to make that device uh, work well, like what kind of uh, things were um, are most interesting components that go into your your device? Yeah, so you know you can kind of break this down categorically, uh, and I would say that the major categories are are power. Um, so these are things like like the solar panel, the batteries, um, and then there's the compute. Uh, so things like microcontrollers or uh, ARM CPUs, uh, memory, um, things like that. Uh, and then there's uh, sensing. So all of the different uh, sensors that allow us to be able to capture the signals that we care about. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, communications, uh, the ability for our devices to communicate back to the cloud. Uh, those are kind of the, the most critical categories. Fascinating. Paul Chen, co-founder and CTO of Gridware. Thank you for being with us today. It was great. Fascinating. Yeah, thank, thank you, Adar. You listen to Design to Product. Thank you for being with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please follow us on your favorite podcasting channel. If you want to join, we have a Slack channel that you can also join too uh, with like-minded people. Feel free to share feedback, give us some episode ideas. And the link is in the show notes. Uh, I'm Adar and have a great rest of your day. Bye.